Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us this morning. That you would help us see that you are the object. That's a new mic. Who we rejoice in. And that we can depend upon you are reliable. You are a reliable source of joy. So help us, Father. For those who are weak, for those who are weary, for those who are helpless and sick and down, would you encourage and comfort them this morning? For those who are your children, would you, who have been backslidden or, or like the prodigal son who started running, would you remind them of your goodness? Would you convict them of their sin? Would you lead them back to yourself? And for those who do not know you, I even, I even say for those who believe they know you but are far from you, would you reveal yourself to them this morning? Would you soften their heart and open their eyes the glorious news that Jesus has died for their sins. We pray this in his name. Amen. So this is the last Sunday of Advent before we meet to celebrate the birth of Christ. So, one last time, just so I can be redundant and annoying. What is Advent? Advent is the season we celebrate of the arrival of Christ's first coming. And this helps inform us and gives us hope then for his second coming. Christ has said that he is coming back again. We can see God's faithfulness in sending his son the first time and see that he will send his son the second time. Part of the reason why we have hope is because the coming of Christ means that we can have divine peace with God. And because we can have divine peace with God, the question comes, why? How is this possible? And we saw last week that it's possible because God loves us. Our mess, our sin, our ugliness, the darkest places of our hearts God, the Father, sends the Son to die for us. And because of this reality, we, we cannot let this escape from us. Because of this reality, this should stir up in us affections. This should stir up in us emotions towards God. But like you, I, I am also a product of the culture. I'm a product of my surroundings, just like you're a product of your surroundings. So I believe that I'm not the only one who has struggled with this question. For the Christian, what is joy? 
What is joy? Is it a gut feeling? Do you have joy in a thing, a person, a place? Does joy mean happy? Does it mean pleasure? Does it mean both? Is it something completely different? Is it okay to, to feel emotion as a Christian, or is it wrong to feel emotion as a Christian? In my early 20s, this was the question that was looming large over my head. In my early 20s, this is what God showed me, is that my entire life, including my entire church life, I understood joy in the, the world's terms. Joy is this extreme pleasure or happiness in something or someone. It's this misplaced affection that makes joy and pleasure and happiness about yourself. But you know, to my frustration, and I wonder if to your frustration, but to my frustration, when I put my joy, my happiness, my, my pleasure in these things, it never brought me lasting joy. I couldn't count on them. I was going from one joy experience, one pleasure experience to the next, to the next, to the next. You could say that I was addicted to joy. And as soon as my joy high faded, I was looking for my next joy fix. Something to take me out of the pain, the, the anger, the guilt I felt on a regular basis. And the frustrating thing is that it never lasted. wonder if you've been where I've been, <coughs> Why does it seem like my joy runs dry so fast? In our passage today, we see Paul writing to the Philippian church in a very direct way. Paul is almost commanding them to rejoice in the Lord. But assuming the response of those whom he's writing to, that they're going to ask, well, well, Paul, when do we rejoice in the Lord? Paul tells them, rejoice always. You see, what we're, we're seeing in this passage today, what we see in this passage through the lens of Christ's arrival is that this passage informs the object of our joy. And it helps us see that the object of our joy is a reliable source of joy. What I'd like us to understand this morning is that the arrival of Christ, the birth of Christ, is the arrival of true joy. 
And we will see this morning that the arrival of Christ is the object of our joy, and that the arrival of Christ is the dependability or reliability of our joy. So let's look at this verse, this, this command by Paul to rejoice in the Lord. We see in this passage that the arrival of Christ is the object of our joy. This right here is, is really the battle that rages in our hearts. The battle of what gets our affections. What gets our heart? What gets our love? What gets our joy? Our happiness? Paul here makes the case. He's, he's saying twice, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. This is a very straightforward command, isn't it? And yet, it's incredibly hard to follow. Every morning, listen to me, every morning when you and I wake up from sleep, this is the battle that we enter. It's a battle for our affections, a battle for our joy, something to rejoice in. It might be a spouse. It could be a, a child, your job, money, power, news. Every morning when you wake up, it's a battle for your affections. Oh, how much I hate how often I wake up and the first thing I do when I sit in my recliner is tap on my phone to see what the news is. What's grabbed hold of my affections at that point is what the headlines say. Are you aware? Are you aware that this morning when you woke up and as God was pouring out new mercies over you, You put your affections in someone or something. See, Paul tells us right here that we are to be a people who rejoice, to have joy. But this is the struggle for some. Is the understanding of what having joy means. emotions wrong for Christians? We shouldn't be swayed back and forth by our emotions, so let's just push them down into a box as far as possible in our hearts. Let's bury that box and not let our emotions sway us from one way or the other. Right? These are the extremes that we hear about. The one is that the Christian should never have emotions, and the other is that you should constantly say, well, I feel like the Lord told me this. And so there has to be a happy medium somewhere. 
Because we see that the, the Bible is chock full of affections and emotions towards God. We see great sorrow, great sadness, great pleasure, great singing. We see times of laughter, and we see times of crying. We see before the fall of mankind, Adam's emotions, his affections, his pleasures coming out on display. When God makes a helper fit for him, he, he looks at the woman and what does he say? <sighs> Not the way that men criticize women today, let me just say that. Adam doesn't say, oh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, a pain in my side. <laughs> no, he, he looks at the woman and he, he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, here is a helper fit. Thank you, Lord. I have to imagine that from that point on in Adam and Eve's life, up until the fall, every night they went to bed saying to one another, can you believe the day that we had with God? And they would wake up the next day saying, this day is going to be better than the last day because their joy was complete and whole and perfect in God. Their joy was in God. Their pleasure was in God. Their happiness was in God. But on that day, that the serpent came to them and tempted them. What did he tempt them to do? He tempted them to turn from God. The serpent tried reorienting their affections. He caused them to doubt if their pleasure, their happiness in God was full and complete by saying, well, he just doesn't really want you to be like him. A.K.A., is God really all satisfying for you? Maybe there's another way to be satisfied, a way that God doesn't really want you to be satisfied, that he's trying to keep from you. Maybe you can find pleasure, joy, and something else. And you know what's amazing? Do you know what's tragic and sad about this scene? Is that as Adam and Eve's joy was complete in God, and they are tempted to sin against God, and they fall into that temptation, their joy is replaced with shame. Their joy is replaced with shame. As soon as they look outside of God for joy, for satisfaction, their joy turns into shame. Does this happen to you? 
to the things that bring you these quick bouts of pleasure, these joy fixes, quickly leave you in shame and guilt. You know, if I, if I only cuss out the person who just cut me off really quickly, that's just going to satisfy a part of my angry heart. You know, it's just, it's just a couple of minutes of looking at pornography. You know, if I just were to get a couple of these items at the mall, What does it hurt if it's just a little anger towards my children? You know, if I'm able to gossip or slander against this person to build me up, what harm will that do? And so we look to these other things to complete our joy, all the while those things so quickly leave us feeling shame, guilt. But right here, Paul gives us the object. We are so quick to find our joy fixes in objects outside of Christ. We're like aimless joy seekers. Blindly putting out our hands, looking for anything to grab onto to give us that fix. But Paul here tells us to rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is the object of our joy, of our rejoicing. So why do we put our joy in the Lord? This is exactly why we celebrate Advent. This is exactly what Advent reminds us of. We, we put our joy in the Lord because the Lord was sent out of love to forgive us of our sin. The, the Lord was sent to bring hope to a weary world. The Lord was sent to bring divine peace between God and man. And so we put our, our joy in Him. We put our joy in the Lord because instead of judging us and damning us and condemning us rightly for our sin, Christ dies for us. This is the, the, the good news of the gospel. That you don't work for your salvation. You don't earn your salvation. It is the, the free gift. A debt that we could never pay was paid for us freely by a sinless man who is the king of kings and yet born in a manger. If that's not something to have joy in, then then we just don't have a pulse. We are so quickly tempted to direct our joy to other things. 
that leave us wanting another thing, right? Like, it's, it's Christmas is coming up. How many times have you seen a kid open up a present that they so desperately wanted only for a week later that toy to be absolutely out of their radar? Are we really any different? Aimlessly seeking for other joy fixes outside of Christ? And yet he comes and he pays the penalty for our sins. He is the object of our joy. Put your joy in the Lord because the Lord is eternal. He's perfect. He, he does not fade. He will not rust. He will not break. You don't have to, to click on him for a new update. You don't have to trade him in for the latest car with four-wheel drive. You can put your, your joy, your happiness, your, your affections in the Lord because the Lord is faithful. The Lord is steadfast. His love endures forever. In the Lord, you will never need a joy fix. Because the Lord will never fail you. He will never leave you. The Lord will not forsake you. The arrival of Christ is the arrival of true joy because Christ is the object of our joy. Everything else here will fade, will expire. It runs out of time. But the Lord, He is from everlasting and to everlasting and will not expire. He is the perfect object of joy. So put your joy in the Lord. As I said earlier, Paul, Paul tells us when to put our joy in the Lord. Since Christ is the object of our joy, that means that we can depend on Him. He is reliable for our joy. This is exactly why this Advent season we meditate on joy. Because the arrival of Christ shows that we can depend on Him for our joy. So here, let me ask this question. When do we rejoice in the Lord? It's an easy one, right? It's when things are going well, of course. When we're on the mountaintops. When you get the job promotion. When everything is going well and your kids are obeying you perfectly. When your children reach out to you daily to tell you how much they love you. When you look down and you find a $20 bill at your foot. Right? We rejoice in the Lord when everything is just going exactly how we would want it to go. If you can't tell, this is just covered with sarcasm. <laughs> if that was the case, then Jesus wouldn't be dependable. He'd be like the newest phone. With all of the, the latest gadgets and, and gizmos, only for a new one to come out the next week with better. 
we see that we rejoice in the Lord always. Do you rejoice in the Lord always? <laughs> Boy, with confidence, do you know what I can tell you? I, I don't always rejoice in the Lord always. I don't. I don't always count it joy when I meet trials of various kinds. My flesh tells me, it tempts me. Hey, Max, there's a quick fix of joy right over there. Nobody will know. Won't hurt too bad. It tempts me to find joy in quick fixes. Don't always rejoice in the Lord, and I absolutely hate it. But I'm so blown away at God's patience and kindness towards me, which then causes me to rejoice in Him. It causes me to say to my flesh, You're right, I can find quick fixes in that. Or I have found, Lord, a quick fix in that, but you have been patient and kind with me. If you're here this morning, and you don't always put your joy in the Lord, know that He is patient and kind with you too. Let me just quickly tell you why I hate not always rejoicing in the Lord. It's because the Lord is dependable. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is reliable. There is no thing or no one who is more reliable than Christ. He is enough. This is why Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. Paul is not saying this out of a lack of experience. Paul isn't writing this to his readers without rejoicing in the Lord always himself, without having these battles, these, these conflicts, these, these wars that, that rage within, within himself. Paul was at the top of his game. Paul was the man. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees. He was zealous of keeping all of the commands of the law as perfectly as he possibly could. He was on the up and coming. And when he encountered Christ, and Christ knocked him off his high horse, his own people turned on him and started to persecute him. Paul was beaten multiple times, a few times, within inches of death. At one time, they thought he was dead, so they threw him out of the city for him just to get back up and walk back in. Paul was shipwrecked, stranded on an island, bitten by a snake. I don't know about you, that's not a good day. 
was thrown into prison. Paul's not telling us to rejoice in the Lord always without a background of going through all that life and throwing. Paul isn't telling us to rejoice in the Lord always for there to be a little asterisk. Like, if you look in your Bible, there's, there's no little asterisk, no footnote that tells you to flip back of the Bible and, and says, well, here are cases where you don't have to rejoice in the Lord always. He's saying that you can rejoice in the Lord always because the Lord is reliable. Paul has experienced this. He knows this. He's certain of this. And he passes down this reality to us. That we are to always put our joy in the Lord because he is dependable. He is reliable. Look, guys, the Lord is so dependable. He is so, so reliable. It's exactly what the Word tells us. That, his, that he is faithful, that his steadfast love endures forever, that he is perfect without blemish. Really, in this life, all other ground is a sinking sand of quick joy fixes that leave us broken and in shame. But because the Lord is reliable, even when you walk through the darkest of darkest valleys, He's there. He's with you. Jesus is not a fair-weather friend. He's not scared of what you're going through. He's not put off by your trials of various kinds. He doesn't look at your suffering and say, this is way above my pay grade. Good luck. There is not one thing that he has not seen. And this is why we can rejoice in the Lord always. Because the Lord is reliable. He is big enough for our burdens. Jesus is faithful and will not fail us. The arrival of Christ is the arrival of true joy because Christ is reliable. When everything else around you fails and leaves you wanting more, Christ won't. So as we part this one last time before we need to celebrate the birth of our Lord, remember, meditate on this this week. That the arrival of Christ is the arrival of true joy. It's the arrival of true joy because Jesus, and only Jesus, is the object of our joy. And Jesus, only Jesus, is reliable for our joy. Let's pray.
We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you that it was out of love that you sent your only Son. Help us to put our joy in him. Help us to rejoice in the Lord always. Amen.